The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Today's guest is a return guest, Jason Criddle. Uh, I've described him in the past as a motivational speaker, but he's so much more than that. He's a prodigious writer. He's a successful businessman. And uh, he built his career after, uh, uh, well, during and after a near-death experience that occurred uh, while he was uh, in the throes of uh, getting some heart surgery taken care of. Uh, Jason, welcome back to NDE Radio. Thanks for having me again, Lee. Appreciate it. All right. All right. Well, we were in the middle of talking about PTSD, and you had asked me uh, to talk about it. Um, th- there was a, a fellow on uh, National Public Radio that I had mentioned to you who has written a book. I think it's called Tribe, and his name slips my my mind. But what he said basically was, it wasn't coming back from the military and all of the, you know, chaos of, of being in a firefights and that sort of thing that had people applying for PTSD, um, uh, support with the VA. It was the, it was their coming back to a dysfunctional society at home because they'd had so much comradeship. They'd had so much support, so much what he called tribal, um, Contact with the fellow soldiers who were protecting one another and working with one another and 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 smoothing out uh, disputes with one another um, uh, because they relied so heavily on one another. They come back to this this country and this society, and it was just such a mess that even though only ten percent of of the military who applied had been in in actual combat, fifty percent of the troops coming back were applying for this uh, because they were just blown away by the chaos of our world. So anyway, that that's where, where that left off. What, what are your thoughts on that? You know, it's, uh, I, I'm thinking about this video that I watched uh, a couple of years ago with a doctor who was talking about mind control. And he was talking about how we are susceptible to mind control and how things that we go through are mind control. But whenever, whenever you talk about that, I'm remembering a segment of the video where he was saying, he was talking about thought ratios. And he was, uh, he was saying that a one-to-one thought ratio would be a balanced person. And what that would mean is one positive thought and one negative thought. And I mentioned some of these words and or some of these numbers in my book, but I remember him saying that once you get to like a level like number, you know, a one positive to two negative thoughts is depression, and one positive to three negative thoughts is uh, depression, anxiety. And he said one positive to four negative is post-traumatic stress disorder. And then he said the entire United States operates on a level four right now. So if we are already operating in post-traumatic stress disorder, that would make perfect sense that the military, is, you know, that these kids that are coming back are having to take 
this medication to adapt for post-traumatic stress disorder because, according to him, we're already living in it. So that that makes a lot more sense. But I remember doing some math because he said, you know, he said the average person has 50,000 thoughts per day and we're only aware of like 10% of those thoughts. So mm. of the 50,000 thoughts we have, we're only aware of 10%. Now, it was like an even smaller percentage of these thoughts are positive. It, it like a, a really ridiculously small percentage of these thoughts are positive. And if you think whenever you go back and you extract out to the 50,000 thoughts, what it originally concludes to is you can only hear yourself giving yourself about 200 positive affirmations per day, but 50,000 times, whether you're aware of it or not, you're telling yourself you can't do it, and you're thinking about something negative that happened to you, and you're just digging your own hole in the ground, and, and you just can't come outside of that. Wow. And, I, and I think, you know, to touch back on what we were talking about on the last show, one thing that I learned is that anger and dealing with the frustrated side of life that people don't like to deal with because we're taught not to deal with it, by dealing with your frustrations, and by and I'm not, I'm not talking about anger and punching walls and shouting at people. I'm talking about finding out why you're angry. This The same doctor also believes that Whenever you are feeling anxiety, it's because your heart is trying to pump your blood into your brain faster so your brain can can insert a new idea into cells so that those cells can go back down to the heart and pump into your body faster so you can find a solution to your problem faster. That's what the action of anxiety is, but most people take a pill rather than dealing with the anxiety. And I, I believe that that's also where our society has gone, and that's what we need to try and pull ourselves out of to get back to that dreaming again and back to that imaginative and creative state and back to that God state and back to that working together as a, you know, for one common purpose state. We need to all realize that we're all human beings and we all have the same problems and we've all dealt with the same childhoods and we all have the same issues and we're all ultimately doing the same thing. So if we can break down the levels, like break down the labels, then we can, we wouldn't have to be dealing with prescription medication. We wouldn't have to be dealing with, uh, um, you know, uh, a separation of belief systems and and religions and 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 fascism and and racism and all these things that are separating us because we would just realize, hey, we're human beings, and right. we can deal with these emotions healthily, and we can deal with these emotions together. And I think we're forced to isolate ourselves to deal with emotions. And what, what I've the- done is I started writing books and talking to people to deal with those emotions, you know? Yeah. I think one of the reasons that politicians find the American public so vulnerable to uh, fear-mongering is uh, is the fact that uh, we are just so dysfunctional. I mean, we are suffering from a certain level of PTSD, 
And so, uh, you know, a, a right wing commentator can get on the radio and scare people to death with, uh, with all sorts of, um, conspiracy theories and, uh, and all that does is it alienates us one from the other. It's, you know, it's the background to racism and, and denominational disputes in, in religion and all of that stuff. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, and, and that's what I was saying also on the last show is that's what our, our media is geared towards. And we have a couple of generations of people who grew up with that medium and they believe mm-hmm. that, you know, everything that happens on the TV and everything that happens on the news is real. They believe because they were raised their entire lives to think it is real and not realizing that it's just kind of a facade that's there to make them vote and think in a certain direction for certain people's benefit. Right. It's, it's really engineered and you can see, uh, the differential in the way Trump has been covered versus, uh, Bernie Sanders, for instance, in this, you know, this last campaign. Uh, how the media plays to those things. Um, you know, I don't know if you remember when Ross Perot ran for, um, president, but his vice presidential candidate was a guy named James Stockdale. And, uh, he was mocked heavily by commentators in the press because when he was first introduced, he came on the air and he, and he asked, where am I and why am I here? And, Everyone thought he had Alzheimer's or something, but I think he was driving at some pretty key questions, uh, right. questions that we should all be asking ourselves. Where am I? Why am I here? <laughs> I, uh, you know, I think I was, I remember Ross Perot, and I remember people wearing Ross Perot shirts, I'm pretty sure. Um, but mm-hmm. I don't think I was old enough to remember whenever he was running. But, you know, yeah. to touch on previous conversations, yeah, I think, I think more I, I think what Bernie Sanders is doing is amazing as far as building a grassroots campaign. And I think it's amazing that we have, he has so much support of, uh, of so many people that are my age, you know, as well as his age. I, I think that, I think the news is definitely directing people to vote and believe in one way. And fortunately, because of technology and because of, of, of the new way that we're communicating and the fact that people my age are starting to create their own media and creating their own news sources, Bernie Sanders is catching a foothold. And I hope he can hold on to it. I I hope he can do something with it. It'll be amazing. But it's going to take, you know, like I said, more people. I don't think I'm any better or different than the average person. I think that I just look at things differently. We all look at things differently. But more well, of us have to be willing to stand up. You know what I mean? Yeah. If he had give, been given more airtime, I know he's done amazing things on the Internet, but if he'd been given more airtime, he might have built a really strong consensus within the 99% that he was representing, right. that he is representing. And that would have, uh, I, I mean, that would have overwhelmed the the divisiveness of the Trump arguments and so forth. Of course. And unfortunately, oh. we, you know, the, the same people that control everything are the ones that control the airtime. Yeah. Uh, you wrote, uh, we are an immaculate form of God's greatest creation with a brain traveling into the past and future. Do you think we have, uh, special gifts for, uh, 
foresight prophecy that we're just not using? Yeah, I believe that's what dreaming is and the imagination and, 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 you know, we talked about dreams before. I believe that the reason why our dreams are so fuzzy and we have no control is because we have a disconnected mind from our spiritual existence. And so people experience stress in their daily life and then they go to sleep at, at night and they don't get a restful regenerative sleep because they have stressful, uh, anxious dreams, you know, and then most people are not using their imagination and forward thinking in order to climb their way into a different existence. We are doing it more and more. I believe that that's what the younger generation is starting to do now as more entrepreneurs come up and more um, artists and everything come up. But that's what an entrepreneur is. That's what an artist is. It's a God-realized being. It's a person that's using their brain to, to go forth. I believe that we, I believe that we are all God and we all have the ability to create. But right now we're sharing this one co-creative experience. So the more powerful the mind, the more, uh, tolerant the mind. I, I believe they call it anonymity. The ability to assess a situation and not act emotionally on it, the the ability to choose the direction in even a short period of time. You know, I, I believe we all have that ability, but we are we are geared to react to things in certain ways, and we are geared to not think, and we are geared to not use our imagination. All of our right. creative forces, everything, all of our powers, they are in us right now. And people call it the third eye, the pineal gland. I call it the first eye. You have the first eye, and then you have the second and the third, which we were given after our God-given first eye was developed. We all have the ability to create and see and change. It's right here. We just have to be willing to go against the grain, go against the way, and Start working on ourselves, our inner selves, building more value in ourselves, thinking that we're not no longer thinking that we're a job title or a label of our skin or, or anything like that. I think in one of the first conversations you and I had, you had um, it was a really interesting take on being a self-made man, <laughs> which was that you think we're actually creating ourselves in this in this on you know in these bodies uh on this earth maybe, maybe you could elaborate on that a little bit yeah i um you know like the the movie avatar we were speaking of avatars i i believe that we excuse me i believe that we are all an archetype I believe that we're all trying to push towards this archetype. Everybody wants to be healthy. Everybody wants to be a hero. Everybody, every single person, mo- well, I would hope every single person, but most people would give their life to save another human being. That It's just, it's something that's inside us. I've stood in front of a ton of people, talking to a ton of people, and I tell people, hey, everybody, imagine, imagine, uh, a Buddhist monk on TV, on a movie or whatever, chanting the word home. 
And on three, everybody's going to chant home for five seconds. One, two, three, and everybody goes home. And they all do it in the exact same pitch. And I didn't tell them what pitch to pitch. They just mm. do it because it's already inside them. It's something that's already instilled within them. And I believe that we all have these things that are inside us because of that unified God theory, you know, the, the collective consciousness theory. There's so many different things that so many people call it. But, you know, <laughs> if somebody wants to look at VPUs and neural imprinting like we were talking about in that conversation, you know, mm-hmm. I believe that we could very well be a higher form of creation, a God real life being that we're all trying to achieve to be in this life. And the reason why we're trying to achieve that in this life is because we are avatars for a training program, a training program that is teaching us how to become better God-like beings. To me, that makes more sense. It makes more sense that our life is a simulation of something that we are trying to excel and become better outside of this because of all the shared beliefs that are hidden inside of modern-day religions. You know, even though, like we were talking about non-denomination, even though there's all these different things going in all these different directions, atheists, agnostics, uh, you know, mathematical people, the ancient Greeks, they were all looking at the same calculations. They were all looking at the same things. When it comes down to it, our DNA breaks down into computer code. You know, uh, somebody could, somebody could write a human being in a piece of software. And the further that we go down this road that we're on, the more technologies come out that are showing us that we are exactly what I believe we are. You know, that conversation of that that um, soldier that had that VPU implanted in his head and now he becomes, now he's living a completely different life where he believes he's a healthy human being. That, to me, sounds exactly like what we are. Let's load up this program, because the brain can travel back and forth, future, the past, the present. It can do it so many times, trillions of times over. The brain is so powerful, but people say that we don't, people say that we only use a, 10% of our brains, that's not true. We use all of our brains all the time. We just don't use the computing power. It's like somebody that buys a $5,000 computer to get on, on social media. It doesn't make any sense. So we can use our powers of projection. We can, use to, we can use our powers to change the world. We can use our powers to create stuff in this reality and influence decisions and all that. Why can't we use that same brain that has those same powers to implant a reality where we can go and live out a life of a person and see what we can do in that life, in that construct, and create whatever we can for ourselves in that reality? And then whenever that body dies or this body dies, then all of a sudden we are back into that construct of an energy light God-created being saying, hey, welcome back, Jason. Hey, what's up, Lee? (laughs) I haven't seen you in about 100 years. All right, man. Well, hey, this time I'm going to load myself up 
as a Doberman. What are you going to be this time? And you're going to be like, I'm going to be like an 18th century orphan girl. And I'll be like, all right, man, we'll see you in 100 years. And then we do a fist bump, and then we get back in the machine, and we come out here, and we realize it. We're supposed to realize it while we're here. That's what we're supposed to do. And that's why so many people feel it, but they're not doing it because they're not geared to do it. They're not being pointed in that direction. But this, that would imply that this is uh, really quite like a game, that we are uh, avatars to uh, our souls, and, and perhaps success in this life is not anything more than winning or doing well in, in a, a simulation. Right, right, just hitting those achievements and getting those milestone points and everything. Right. Do you feel, you feel that that's... But you think that's important because of some some deeper reason? Yes. I mean, we, you know, whenever somebody achieves something, we have a sudden release of dopamine. We, we have a sudden feeling of accomplishment, and we're supposed to be feeling that on, like, a daily basis and to feel good about ourselves. But we don't, most people don't feel those accomplishments because they're not setting up milestones and achievement points. And, you know, I mean, even the shopping app that we have built for our users to generate income on there, we built milestones and achievements and everything into the uh, into the program for them to get bigger rewards and bigger bonuses and make more money. I, you know, half of Argentina is for sale right now, and I want to buy it so I can build an app-based society, a value-based society where everybody gets a living, earning wage, and then everything is controlled by apps and computers, and people can write books, and they can save lives, and they can go to school to become doctors, and they can do all this stuff similar to what they're doing now, but their value and everything is calculated. And so the more value a person builds in themselves, the higher the achievements, the better the bonuses, the milestones, the rewards that they can get. But everybody starts off on a level playing field. That way it's fair for people. And even people like me, dreamers, that are being pushed outside of society, children with autism that are being pushed outside of society, uh, your average entrepreneur or artist who's being pushed out of society, we should be able to build value in ourselves in a way that's different than people think. You know, like just because I don't have a nine, I don't have a nine to five job, but I don't know. I don't know many people who have read 20 books, and I've written three, you know, 20 in the last couple of years. So there's different ways to build value, and I believe that we could all, if we just all understood that, and we all started thinking about it a different way, then that's the life that we can live. Mm. We can all create well, that utopia that we're all reaching for. One of the things that really opens our eyes is having had a near-death experience or even an out-of-body experience. It, it, uh, it, it means so much more is possible, you know, when we recognize the eternal nature of our souls. And there's something like estimated, something like 774 near-death experiences in this country alone every day. Now, if, if there were some way we could get those people to acknowledge what they'd seen, and to act in accordance with the big picture, we could change the society in a very short time. Oh, yeah, man. It would be amazing. I, and I think that's the reason why we need 
we need people like you, Lee. Uh, it might sound cliche, but that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to gather these experiences and share these experiences so more people can come out of the woodwork so we can, you know, have more people sharing and then more people that are also listening to the information that they can provide. I think it's, it's huge and I think it's, it's a must. What we do, you and me, like, it's no longer a luxury. This, this is what people need to be watching every day and listening to every day. They don't, they don't need the stuff that's been forced into people for the last hundred years. They need a completely different medium now. Yeah. And we need to, uh, we need to rebuild a different world because the way it's going, the environment, degra- environmental degradation and the, and the huge contrast between the rich and the poor, all of the things that, uh, actually that Bernie's been talking about. If we don't correct those, there's not going to be much left. Oh, you're right, man. We need more people to, uh, share stories. We need more people to write books. We need more people to start YouTube and Vimeo channels and more people to want to be a voice and people can take any experience, not just in their death experience. People can take an abusive experience. They can take uh, a cancer experience. They can take uh, getting a raise and getting a new car experience and they can teach somebody else something that can ultimately make our society better a lot better than what we're living right now. So more people, like people just need to stand up and be willing to share their life with more people. Right. Let me ask you this. You're, uh, you're very into technology. There was a, there's a computer that is learning as it goes along that recently beat the world champion Go player, um, simply by observing how he played and and getting better and better. Do you think there's a a threat from uh, advanced technology, from robots, from computers that can think a whole lot faster and smarter than we can? I think, you know, it's it's similar to the conversation we were having about VPUs, virtual processing units. You know, VPU is what it would go into a self-driving car or a car that would be able to park itself. Um, but of course there are better, more advanced versions of EPUs. That's the way, that's what they put in that soldier from that conversation as well. I do believe that we are at a stage where computers can learn and process things at a faster rate than we can. I do not believe that we are at a stage where we can put our emotional, childish, dysfunctional habits into a computer and then that computer, like, think to itself, wow, these people are idiots and we're (laughs) going to sabotage them and take over. And you know why I believe that? Because if we were ultimately able to implant our dysfunctional, anxious consciousness into a computer, I think the computer would more than likely kill itself and not want to exist with us because we would always grow and populate and build and always overcome whatever the computer would try to, I think the computer would just like shut down (laughs) and that would be it. And then we would just have to start over with rocks and sticks and hatches and stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They uh, interviewed a man who'd built a a robot uh, on the, uh, uh, on the internet, he was on YouTube, and uh, they said they asked a question something like, uh, "Will robots ever hurt humans?" 
and he turned to his robot and said, uh, would you ever hurt a human being? And under his breath, he said, I hope you say no. <laughs> the robot responded, we learn from human beings. Of course we'll hu- hurt human beings. Because <laughs> the level, the level of input was only, you know, it was only as good as the person putting it in. And, and we are, uh, we can do damage to one another. Right, right, right. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if we're at a point yet where we have figured out how to uh you know overcome ourselves. I think we can destroy ourselves very easily. Um but I don't know if we're at a point where I think we're too smart and too intuitive to overcome ourselves, but we could also be too dumb and and too stubborn to overcome ourselves. It's a kind of a catch twenty two. I think that humans are here to do whatever the mass, you know, whatever the person in charge tells humans to do. And we'll keep doing it, whether it's battling robots or destroying the environment. It doesn't matter. Jason, we are once again just about out of time, but I'd like you to take uh, a minute talk about um, any um, books that you didn't mention the first time around and also about how people might get in touch with you or find a website for you. Yeah, you can go to uh, Jason Criddle, that's C-R-I-D-D-L-E.com. I have a link to uh, a lot of my books on there. Um, but, you know, I also, we have the Smarter app, it's S-M-A-R-T-R. It's a lot easier to trademark and made it word, I promise. Uh, we have our Smarter app, which we designed um, to help people build assets, uh, money-making tools through a typical shopping app. We put a compensation structure similar to an MLM compensation structure on a shopping app that has millions of items and it's going to have tons more brands and more stores and stuff that people see every day. I believe that this has created a new industry and it can create a new way that people uh, thrive and people build an income because people can now use our app to uh, to share with people um, and, and earn an income doing it. And at the same time, with the launch of our app, we're also opening up our Smarter Founder, our first location in the DFW area in Dallas. Um, we're helping support students and entrepreneurs through the struggles that entrepreneurs and students and artists and stuff have to go through in order to uh, in order to build a business or build something outside of society's standards. So wow. we have, you know, so instead of, instead of an entrepreneur having to go out and build their business on their own, they can come to our place to have 24 hour access to showers and daycare and Wi-Fi and computers and a gym and, and, uh, I mean, uh, publishing and investors and networking and conference rooms. They have access to everything for $200 a month. It's a nonprofit organization. We're putting everything back into the organization for the entrepreneurs. So uh, Jason, look up the, the Smarter app and the Smarter Foundry. That's how they can find us. And it would terrific. definitely help save the world. Thank you so much, Jason. Uh, this has really been fun. Uh, be sure to look for Jason's books on Amazon or Kindle. And if you'd like to uh, listen to this show again or Jason's previous show, um, uh, just go to our uh, website at nderadio.org and um, – There'll be information um, at the IONS website for our Orlando, Florida conference coming up very shortly in July. 
Um, and I look forward to seeing you there. Thanks again, Jason. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening. <laughs>